Welcome to a special staff-picked edition of Weigh-In Sports Talk. Today is Sunday, September 15th. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564, or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino, or follow us on Twitter at Weigh-In Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin, and co-host Trey Patterson. Let's weigh in. Thank you, Michelle, for the intro, and everyone, welcome to a Sunday night, and we're happy to to be able to bring you some sports talk tonight. As we predicted, a big weekend in in the college and NFL football worlds, Uh, we almost had that very, very big upset with Akron over Michigan. I just had a feeling something big was going to happen, but you know, the games didn't disappoint. And, Trey, I hope you're having a great weekend so far. It's almost Monday. Yeah, man, uh, it's been an interesting week of college football and pro. I'm not a whole lot of upsets, but there were there was at least one, Tarvin, at least one to talk about. Yeah, and the, the Akron-Michigan game, man, I just I don't know about you, but, but did you think Michigan was going to lose when they got down there to the five-yard line? Yeah, I thought, I thought Akron was going to pull it out. Yeah, that was that was the interesting game, and and the thing is, Trey, I don't think they dropped much in the polls at all. Michigan did, which did surprise me a little bit, and we'll talk about that. Just to give you guys a heads up on what's going on tonight, we're going to talk college football, of course, for the majority. Some NFL football. Uh, Barrett Solly from Bleacher Report will be joining us, Trey, to to talk about the the Alabama, Mississippi State, and Tennessee allegations of, about taking money from an agent. So I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear uh, what he has to say about this big story. I mean, something that we've all been talking about, we all want to know more about, uh, and we'll see what he has to say. And I do have an update. I know Alabama is lawyered up now. The NCAA is going to come, and, and they're going to look at this, and and, Trey, one thing I don't understand real quick is when you start talking about this, the NCAA, just a question to you, do they have the resources to tackle another big investigation? Well, I mean, you know, the NCAA's investigative branch is it's just so sort of messed up as it is. I mean, you really don't have a lot of faith in them to actually get to the truth. I mean, even in the Miami investigation, which they still haven't announced what they're going to do with, I mean, the – the reports and the evidence was there. I mean, that's why Miami was self-imposing postseason bans. I mean, that, that's how serious it was. But, you know, the NCAA just botched it completely. Uh, and, you know, we still haven't got an outcome. So, I mean, there's really no faith that the NCAA's investigative branch can get to the truth in any investigation. Well, well, Trey, we will talk about this when, when Barrett comes on. But, you know, we've, we've sidestepped away from – we've gotten away from baseball just a little bit, and I would just like to hit on that for just a couple of minutes. Um, any surprise here, Trey, in the American League West with the Oakland Athletics? They have won eight out of ten games and have a commanding six-and-a-half game lead over Texas. The surprising thing to me, Trey, is Texas has lost nine out of ten games in six in a row. What is wrong with Texas right now down the stretch? I thought they would pull away in this division. Yeah, you and me both. I mean, I picked Texas to win this division. I think you had Oakland, actually. Uh, so, you know, you're you're right and I'm wrong right now. But, uh, you know, I just assumed that Texas, the heat of Texas, the power that usually comes into Texas' uh, lineup around this time, and they usually get really high. 
when it comes to the heat of Texas, the ball flies out of the ballpark. I mean, I don't think they even hit a home run in six games. I mean, this team is terribly cold, and they're six and a half back from Oakland now. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, they're out, they're out of it. I mean, Oakland has won this division, uh, and now it's just coming. It's going to come down to a wild card. I mean, between them and Tampa Bay, you can't get much worse uh, playoff, uh, you know, playoff push right now because both those teams are sort of trying to back them with their way out of the playoffs. I mean. Right now, Texas and, and Tampa are tied for the wild card. But, I mean, Tarvin, Cleveland is a game and a half, a game back. Baltimore, two and a half. The Yankees, two and a half. And Kansas City, three and a half. And if you're a betting guy with the way Tampa and Texas are playing, you got to think that maybe maybe two of the other teams are going to get in there. Uh, I, I do think both of them going to going to miss out on this. You don't lose nine out of ten games right now in a pennant race and expect uh, – and expect to make up some ground in this. There's too many good teams in the American League, and and I just don't see it happening. But let's move over to the National League real quick just to look at a couple of races. Pittsburgh and St. Louis are tied right now, both 87 and 62. Uh, interesting race going on. And Cincinnati is just sitting back at three-and-a-half games trade. Any chance they can come out, you know, come back and take this division? I mean, it seems like they're kind of being sneaky right now. They won six out of ten. But I, I think Cincinnati can make one late push and win this division. Yeah, Cincinnati's only three and a half back. If you look at the you know the loss column, they're you're, you're, you know four games back. Or, you know, but uh, you're they're, they're a team that could. I mean, I take them to win the division. I still think they have a shot. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh's playing. You know, what what how you want a team to play uh, to win the division, and so is St. Louis. I mean, these three teams. Uh, it's crazy, Tarvin. These three teams are going to make the postseason. I mean, that's just insane when you think about it. You know, the beginning of the year that these these are your, your two wild cards are going to come from the same division. It's just uh, it kind of boggles me, Tarvin. I, I would have never predicted that. So, I mean, it's kind of the craziness of baseball's wild card. Yeah, the Dodgers are up ten and a half in the West. Arizona, they're done. I mean, this division is over. The Braves are only 10 games up right now, and I'd say only they were 15 or 16 up just a couple of weeks ago. So that lead keeps slipping away. They've won four out of 10, and Nationals have won eight out of 10. So they better be careful here, Trey. I mean, there's nothing set in stone, but the Braves have shown in the past that they can choke away a big lead in a short period of time, really. Yeah, I mean, Tarvin, the Braves, I think – you know, still haven't played the way I'd like them to go into the postseason. They're they're secure, um, you know, but the the real question is going to be for the Braves is, is if they can get that number one overall seed. I mean, it looks like they may, Tarvin. It looks like they've got it, but you know, you got to look at, um, you know, that that's a big thing. I mean, you want to go into the playoffs strong. You want to go in hot, uh, and you don't want to go in uh, um, sort of backing your way into the playoffs. It's a it's a quick way to get yourself out quick. Uh, one of the things I have concern about the Braves, Tarvin, is I just look at that team as built for a long season. You know, I look at them and I say, well, they're a good baseball team, but are they really built for a five and a seven game series? And I, I just worry about that. They're, 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 you know, you and I have talked about this. They're a feast or famine team. They hit a lot of home runs. They strike out a bunch. And yeah, you know, I just worry about them going up against. Uh, a number one, number two guy, because if you look at the Braves lineup, Tarvin, up and down it and missed the season, I mean, a lot of their wins have been on against four, five, and even three, you know, number three guys. 
they haven't won a whole lot against one and two. So, Tarvin, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think the Braves are, are a team made for a, a long entire season. And, and in order to be a successful team made for, you know, a short five- or seven-game series, I think you have to have power pitching, Trey. And they do not have that. I mean, they have decent pitching right now. They've had some injuries on that team. But in a game seven or, or you know, you're facing, just for, just for instance, you're going to face um, – the Dodgers' eighth, Kershaw, just say you're playing in a seven-game series. You're going to face him three times possibly in a seven-game series. Who do you throw out if you're the Braves to match up with that? There's nobody, nobody can match up with this guy, and that's what concerns me. I don't think they can beat the Dodgers just because of that reason. And and Pittsburgh's even got some, some dominant pitchers, uh, Trey. I just think that Atlanta is a one-and-done in this year's playoffs. I, I wish they could win it, make the World Series, but it's just not – almost reasonable to say and think that they're going to make the World Series this year with that pitching. Yeah, I mean, that's a question. If, if you're Atlanta, I mean, I, I thought about this, is who do you run out there in game one? And, you know, most teams can easily say who it is. You know, I mean, you could – the Dodgers, clearly Clayton first off by young winner. You know, you can look at the Cardinals. You have Adam Wainwright. You know, you've got the – you know, the Pirates and the Reds got guys who are front of the line – Guys, but you know, you look at the and the Pirates probably the least. But you know, you're talking about the Braves. I don't even know who they're going to route in Game One. So that's my question for the Braves. Yeah, I mean that, that that's to be seen. But you know, you got to hope if you're the Braves that the Dodgers lose that first round, don't you, Trey? Because you don't want to play them uh, <laughs> in the second round of the playoffs because you'll be exited out. But, I mean, Cincinnati is a tough team to beat. St. Louis, Pittsburgh, it's just loaded in the National League this year. I think it's stronger than the American League right now, believe it or not. And it's because of the Dodgers and some of the pitchers in the National League. So, Trey, we will talk some baseball, of course we will, when it gets closer to the playoffs. I just wanted to to make sure. And you're, if you send me a message, Trey, for some reason it's coming in like some weird language. I can't read it. I don't know what's wrong with my chat room right now. Uh, but, We'll cover baseball. And before Barrett comes on, Trey, just wanted to touch on, I don't know if he was watching the Minnesota game yesterday, uh, the Gophers in college football. Coach Kill had another seizure. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on how long is he going to continue to coach. And it, it just seems like seizures, from what I know about seizures, they're brought on by stress, correct? Well, I mean, there can be a, a numerous things. I mean, stress obviously doesn't help. But, you know, and then you got a one-year about, I mean, you don't want to have a situation where you have a critical, um, you know, incident with Coach Kill on the sidelines of a game. You know, I mean, there is a way to live through this kind of epileptic seizures that he's having. Um, but there's also, you know, you got to think about if you're, if you're him or if you're even the school, you know, maybe you put him in an administrative capacity, you know, and because you're just, you just don't want something to happen on the sideline where, you know, it's just hard for – for emergency personnel to get to him. And, and certainly a head coach is, is the most stressful position to be in um, in a football team. It is. And, and I just wonder if when, it's, when he's going to lay it out, I mean, lay it down. This guy has had the same coaching staff for 10 years. They've been together. So I hate to see him go. He's doing a good job at Minnesota, building them back to a team that's competitive week in and week out, Trey. I just hate to see it go like this, but I think for his his best interest for his health and the players and the team. I think he needs to, like you said, either step down or take an administrative role. 
But it's just sad to see something like that happen. That's a big distraction to kids that age, Trey, on the sidelines. So they, they, they seem to pull together when it happens and they won the game. But in a bigger game, that could be devastating for them to try to bounce back and get focused, you know, after a, a seizure takes place on the sideline in front of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, hope, hope the best for Coach Kill and, and uh, the Minnesota Gophers. But, um, you know, you just don't want to see that kind of thing on the sideline. Well, I mean, it's it's just one of those things that that I worry about is health and coaching. Trey is not not an easy job. It's a very stressful job in college football, so it just seems like it's getting worse and they're happening more and more frequent. So we're going to have to to keep an eye on that and and we're going to talk about some of our games and we're waiting on Barrett. Barrett will be in in just a couple of minutes. Um, Trey, anything you want to hit on before we we get Barrett on the line? Well, I mean, Tarvin, just to just to sort of talk about our pick 'em, it looks like we may lose this week, Tarvin. I uh I mean if the Seahawks win, I'll go thirteen and two. Uh lost one game in college and one in pro. But looks like uh Jason Humphrey may have went perfect in college. That's a the heck of a day. Yep, and if the Seattle wins, I'll go thirteen and two, Trey. Eight and two in college and five and oh in the NFL, I believe. Is that correct? I don't think I've lost a game in the NFL yet. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. So, uh, yeah, agree. Yeah, you uh, you went five and zero. Or if the Seahawks win, uh, Russell opened over six right now. So that game is is currently postponed or in a delay uh, because of bad weather. Uh, but Russell Wilson over six, not playing well in the weather. So uh, for our pick's sake, Tarvin, I uh, hope he comes out and plays better. He does. It's bad when you hit eighty percent and you lose. That's that's not cool. But we're gonna bring on Barrett real quick, Barrett. Works with the Bleacher Report. Barrett, how are you tonight? Thanks for joining us. No, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm doing great. How are y'all? Oh, doing good. Hey, yeah, fantastic, man. Good, good to have you. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for coming on, and and you know, I was interested to see your take. You know, I know you cover SEC. We want to talk some SEC football with you, of course. But first, I, I want to talk. You know, what everybody's wanting to know: where are we? on this on the allegations with Alabama, Mississippi State and Tennessee, you know, with the with the agent paying DJ Fluker and some other players. What 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 what's your current update on this? Well no real update other than the than the, the news from Yahoo, which you know, I, I assume the NCAA is, is asking questions. You know, they this is nothing new to them. You know, they deal with agents all the time. Um they deal with agents uh above board agents, they deal with shady agents and everybody in between. So you know, I'm sure that they're, they're talking to their sources and the people that they know in the industry to really find out. Um, I think the first thing that they want to find out is, you know, where did this information come from? Because, you know, Yahoo came out with some pretty specific, you know, dated and, and uh, you know, invoices and, and bank accounts and line item spreadsheets uh, through Luther Davis, implicating Luther Davis and then thus the five players. Um, so, you know, I think they want to find out where they got that. Um, I, I don't think Yahoo's going to tell them. Um, but uh, that's the easy step one uh, because uh, once they get that information, that's really all the information they need to at least render those players ineligible. Uh, the, the trick after that is to figure out if or if there's a connection to, to any of the three schools, how there's a connection, uh, and what that connection is. And at that point, um, then, then you could be talking about major trouble for all three institutions because – 
you know, Mississippi State's on probation, Tennessee's on probation, Alabama got off probation in June 2012, but their window for repeat violator status is still open. So um, it, it's, a, it's a tenuous situation. I, I think all three schools and, and all three fan bases should be very, very concerned because I think at the very least, if they can get their hands on the information that Yahoo got, got um, then, then vacation of wins and vacation of games is absolutely going to happen. And in Alabama's case, that means the 2012 National Championship is going to go away. And, and Barrett, I have a question. Why would the why would Yahoo not give this information to the NCAA? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. That you'd have to ask the the uh, writers Charles Robinson and Rand Gatlin. I think part of it is protecting sources. I think part of it is keeping trust in sources because um, you know I think part of the reason this information got out was probably because um, you know those guys made a promise that you know they're they're not going to give it to anybody. And that includes the NCAA. So, you know, I, I couldn't, can't really speak for those guys, um, but I know, you know, when you're doing an investigation like that, um, you know, the the trust that you have in the people that are helping you out is the most valuable commodity you have. So, um, you know, I think the, you've heard Charles Robinson and Rand Gatlin speak on on radio and, and TV and stuff since the investigation uh, story is published. Um, you know, I think that they uh, their indications and their and their their words. You know, saying that they want to expose what really goes on. They're not really looking to get into any trouble. They're just looking to, to, you know, present a factual representation of what goes on. I think indicates to 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 me that they don't want to have to deal with an NCAA uh, investigation. They probably promised their sources that they wouldn't have to because they don't want to be bothered anymore. Um, so I think that would be the easy answer. But we'll see. You know, I think um, obviously. It's a lot of information. You know, I think there's no doubt if you just look at that information, you know, all of those players should be ineligible because they uh, – that's enough evidence to convict in essentially any court of law. Um, so if the NCAA gets their hands on it, um, and if, if Chahu can do it, I assume the NCAA can do it as long as they put the effort into it, which is a whole different ballgame with the NCAA. Um, but we'll see where it goes. It's, it's certainly an interesting uh, scenario and, and one that I think is, you know – Again, vacation of games and under most circumstances is a you know paper tiger. It's not even a real penalty. Um, but in this case with DJ Fluger in Alabama, it is. Okay. Uh, and this, Trey, I got a question for you. You're talking about the you know the NCAA and the possibility of an investigation from the NCAA. Let me ask you what what you know when it comes down to the credibility of the NCAA, and you, you talked about their you know almost lack of desire to investigate these kind of things. I mean, do we have faith that they can actually get to the truth in anything? I mean, after we're still we're still waiting on Miami's investigation to close out, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think you you have you have faith in the sense that you know, it, as long as they can get the people to talk. But you know, I think again, uh, they don't have subpoena power, so it's going to get be hard for them to get everybody to talk. Yeah, you know, Miami, obviously, another story that was broken by Charles Robinson. Uh, the information was basically handed to uh, the NCAA on a silver platter, much like this is. Um, and the NCAA botched it. Um, so, you know, they're understaffed. They've had a lot of people leave that enforcement staff over the last two years. Um, so it, it takes time. It takes uh, a lot of time and a lot of work to get, uh, you know, the, these people to talk and to get that information. I think you have faith in the NCAA because they're not going to fabricate anything. Uh, the Miami investigation, I think, is, is one where um, they maybe got a little overzealous. Um, but overzealous, in this instance, I don't think they need to be because – um, you know, conceivably, and, and John Phillips, the agent, one of the agents that allegedly paid Luther Davis, even said it, um, we're talking about state laws being broken, state agent laws being broken. 
So, you know, if, if charges are brought up against agents, then the NCAA doesn't have to do any work at all. It, it's basically going to get everything handed to it on a silver platter. Now, for for this particular case, uh, that's a, a little bit of a, a, a tricky situation, too, because, you know, no district attorney in Alabama is going to bring charges against Alabama uh, or agents in a case that could strip Alabama of two titles if they want to keep their jobs, because that guy or, or, or girl is not going to be elected to that office ever again. That person would have a hard time winning a one-person homeowners association election. So um, there's a whole lot of different layers. We'll see where it goes. It certainly could go in a lot of different directions, most of which I think are bad, um, but uh, certainly there are, are, are plenty of, of, of uh, things out there, especially from an Alabama standpoint, because it does involve B.J. Fluker. It does involve Luther Davis, who is acting as the intermediary, who is an Alabama alum and considered a booster, um, and then also John Phillips, who's an agent, who's an Alabama grad, who's the one funneling the money. So there's a whole lot of layers, and we'll see what happens. Let me ask you another question, Barrett. Talking about the players who are actually on rosters right now, tell me about what you make of what Tennessee did with you know their player and the heat exhaustion and, and what you make of the other players who are still on rosters uh, involved in this this whole thing. Well, Maurice Couch is the only one, and, he, and first, uh, you know, he was ruled out because of heat exhaustion. I think we all, you know, knew the writing on the wall when that happened. Um, and then eventually they did say that it was it was due to the investigation that he was ineligible and didn't make the trip to Tennessee. You know, I think that's interesting because, you know, that may not have, have raised eyebrows, you know, in a, in a broad sense because, um, you know, why wouldn't you why, – why wouldn't you hold him out if you're Tennessee? You've got to, you know, play play it smart. But I think that does indicate that, you know, there's enough evidence that, um, that that Tennessee anyway felt like uh, they would be at risk of playing an ineligible player uh, had they run him out there, which I think would be the same exact you know response for Mississippi State and for and for uh, Alabama. I mean, if, if if DJ Fluker hadn't gone to the pros early, there's no way he'd have played against Texas A&M. That Alabama would not have taken that risk. Uh, same thing with Fletcher Cox if he was still around at Mississippi State. Uh, you know, so uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's interesting because it does give you a sense of. of where a compliance department feels that this case is. Um, and and that doesn't necessarily indicate where it's going, but it certainly indicates the uh, the threat that this situation, uh, you know, presents to a, to, a, to a program with an eligible player. And let me ask you, you talked about, you know, the possibility of a vacation of, of games in the 2012 National Championship for Alabama. Um, you know, I'm looking at the story, and I don't, I, you know, do you think the NCAA, even if they find something here, is really going to want to do that or go after those games? I mean, do you, th- you think that's something the NCAA, I guess, is that something the NCAA wants to tackle? Is you know, take trying to take down Alabama's national championship? Well, they, they're not really taking down Alabama's national championship. They're just following their own protocols. You know, I think it'll be, be viewed as Alabama's championship being, you know, the target. That's not really the case. There's two levels, and, and John Infante, who, who writes the bylaw blog for, uh, for athleticscholarships.net, had a really good uh, point about this. There are two levels. You know, if they can prove that Alabama coaches and Alabama was involved and in the know or should have known, then that level brings it to a punishment towards, you know, scholarships being revoked um, and, and potentially long-term probation. But Alabama, in, 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 as far as precedent goes, even if Alabama doesn't know, then vacation of games is still on the table. Uh, that's the same, the same exact thing happened with Georgia Tech. That's why their 2009 ACC title got stripped, uh, because 
they had a playwright thing as an agent. Um, George Tech didn't know about it, but those games still got vacated. That's a lower punishment, and in most cases, it's a punishment that, again, is sort of like a paper tiger. It's not that big of a deal. That's what the president of the NCAA said. So Alabama doesn't have to know about it. As long as, as DJ Fluker took money and took benefits, which I think if we've all seen the evidence, that's pretty much cut and dry. He did. Um, if, they, if the NCAA can prove it, then they're going to vacate games because that's what they always have done in, in certain and in, in similar situations. Now, if they can prove Alabama knew about it, then that's when we're talking about scholarships and, and probation and things like that, which from the NCAA's perspective are a, is a much more uh, drastic and extreme punishment. Uh, the, the catch with this is that you're talking about vacation of games in a national championship season and then thus the national championship going away. USC, I think a lot of people talk about USC. USC didn't get its, vaca- the, the, its championship stripped because Kirk McNair should have known about Reggie Bush's parents' house. USC got its games vacated because Reggie Bush's parents had a house. That's it. There, there's, there's no other layer to it. Wow, Matt. Tarvin, I don't know what you think, but I, I think uh, the whole state of Alabama might implode if a national championship uh, gets taken from Alabama. I mean, they're already counting national championships. They don't maybe even have, Tarvin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hearing from Bama fans, Barrett, that this is nothing, this is – this is going to be nothing. But, but what concerns me if I'm an Alabama fan, the NCAA comes in-house and, and they find other players involved in this because you know as well as I do, Barrett, that D.J. Fluker is not the highest profile uh, player they've had in the last five years. So I, it leads me to believe that possibly there's more than, than Fluker that's been accepting, you know, money and payment, you know, from agents. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say, you know, it, it's an Alabama problem. I mean, this is college football. I mean, you know, it, it's, it just so happens yeah. that we're talking about Alabama, Mississippi State, and Tennessee in this particular instance. But, you know, this is happening all over. Um, you, you can find you – know, you open up a, 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 any media guide in the country, you point to a roster, the, the name your finger lands on probably took improper benefits at some point. I mean, that's just <laughs> the way it is. Um, you know, it's just uh, – but, again – um, you know, it's, I, I think the NCAA, you never want the NCAA in your house, you know, whether it's Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, whatever. Yeah. If, if the NCAA comes turning over rocks, they're probably going to turn over one where they find something because there's no such thing as a clean program. And in this case with agents, um, you know, you can, you can educate your players all you want. You can, you can tell them, don't talk to agents, talk to them, learn about it. You know, I think Nick Saban, you know, he employs, a, I think a strategy that is, is smart. He, he tells his players, look, talk to agents. You know, figure, learn those that part of the industry because you're going to need to know that part of the industry. Um, unfortunately, there are dirty agents where they will, you know, even if they if, if you don't even know it, they'll they'll slip you some some improper benefits and could render you ineligible. So, it, you know, it, it it sucks for 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 Alabama. It sucks for the SEC. Uh, but you know, again, it's again, it, it, this is not an an Alabama problem. This is not a Tennessee problem. It's not a Mississippi State problem. This is I wouldn't even consider it really a problem. It's just against the rules, and and in this particular instance, I think it's it's people breaking the rules in a very very sloppy nature. I mean, anytime you have a line by line you know spreadsheet of impropriety that has the subject line DJ Fluker invoice, I think you're cheating in the very very bad way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barrett, let me just ask you a quick question to contrast what's going on in the SEC with. Um, the Oklahoma State investigation, it seems like that investigation is kind of from Sports Illustrated is an, uh, unraveling, I guess, to, to the naked eye here. 
uh, with a lot of problems with uh, credibility of the people coming forward. What do you make of the Oklahoma State investigation? You know, I think it's it's an interesting story. I think it's being viewed as an expose and a witch hunt against Oklahoma State, which I guess in part it is. Um, but I think it's more the intent of it anyway, I think, was to, you know, sort of enlighten everybody on really what goes on in, in the world of college football. Um, you know, I, again, I think everybody knows that, though. So I, I think that's, that's what the disconnect is. I think, you know, everyone that reads that story uh, sees all these improprieties and recognizes, yeah, that happens everywhere. What's, what's the big deal? But I, I don't think necessarily that that's true in the people outside of the college football, you know, world, so to speak. So that's why um, I think there's this outrage within the college football world because it doesn't really, you know, that, that doesn't really specify anything. Look, you know, the drug thing, they, they found 30 players that smoked marijuana over a 10-year period. That's three per team. I guarantee there's more than three players per team smoking weed. That's uh, not that big of a that, that that's not that big of a limb to be out on. Uh, you know the 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 Orange Club, Booster Club, the hostesses. Um, guess what? There are hot girls on campus, and recruits like to hang out with hot girls. You know, I, I know that's not breaking that much news, but you know, I think a lot of it is just it's it's being sort of received in the college football world as an investigative expose and trying to bring down a program. And that's sort of not necessarily the true intent. That's sort of a, a, a secondary intent because I think it's more towards, you know, gearing the everyday person that's not necessarily wrapped up in this, you know, all the time, a little bit of insight into what actually goes on. So uh, nothing will come. I mean, Oklahoma State's not going to get any sanctions. They're not going to be – I, I doubt they even be investigated, uh, to be honest with you. I think it's just a uh, – I think it's an interesting story, and I think it's meant to enlighten people, and I think it's being taken the wrong way. Uh, by people that are, you know, involved in this every day. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great answer, and that's what I think. And we are joined by Barrett Solly of the Bleacher Report. And Barrett, I, I know I know you watched the Texas A&M Alabama game yesterday. Thoughts on the game? Is Alabama? I mean, did they expose some weak? I mean, show some weaknesses on their defense in that game because it looked like Johnny Manziel uh, had his best performance of his career in that game, even though they lost. Oh, yeah, he was – Manziel is, is so much fun to watch. I mean, he is so much fun to watch. Uh, you know, yeah, they exposed weaknesses. Honestly, those weaknesses were already there. You know, you saw Mike Evans, you know, pick on John Fulton early in the game. Uh, Saban's been concerned about him and, and that other second – that other DB spot for, you know, the entire offseason. Uh, it certainly showed that they can be picked on by a, you know, a quarterback that can get the ball downfield and a wide receiver who's a matchup problem, and Mike Evans is a matchup problem. I mean, he's not, that really isn't a John Fulton problem. It's just a, a Mike Evans problem because he creates that problem wherever he goes. Um, you know, it was a great game. You know, I think, you know, you look back at it and you see the score and you think, oh, yeah, you know, it was definitely a, uh, a shootout. Well, yeah, it was a shootout, but not really because in the second half, Alabama made that a slugfest on purpose, and they won it. And really, had it not been for T.J. Yeldon fumbling inside the five-yard line, A&M wouldn't have had a shot uh, in that game. So, um, you know, I, I think it was it was an indication that Alabama, sure, they have some weaknesses, but they can get into any kind of game that, that the, the game dictates. They can win any type of game. And, and in this particular game, they took back control after it, it was completely out of their control uh, and then dictated the style, pace, tempo that they wanted and did so uh, at an extremely high level and really won the game that way because it was T.J. Yeldon, it was Jonathan Fowler, 
Uh, in that second half, it was just basically the SEC championship game second half on repeat for Alabama. They were just running right at Texas A&M, and there was nothing Texas A&M could do about it. So uh, I wouldn't say Alabama fans should be concerned. Uh, I mean, it, they shouldn't be any more concerned because, honestly, you should have been concerned about the defensive backs to begin with. Um, but it, but if, if, if that weakness wasn't known before, it's known now. And it's uh, I don't know if they can address it because, you know, teams like Ole Miss that have two tough wide receivers, uh, they can certainly exploit that weakness too. Yeah, exactly. And is there a team, Barrett, that can that can give Alabama problems? Like you said, a quarterback that can throw the ball downfield with some receivers and tight ends that cause matchup problems. I mean, who on their schedule do you think can beat them? Yeah, Georgia definitely if they play in the SEC championship game because basically uh, that offense that I just described, Alabama, you can just put on Georgia's helmets and that's the same thing because they're the exact same offense. Um, they have matchup nightmares at wide receiver. They've got a big, tight, a big, tall, athletic tight end in, in, in Artie Lynch. Um, and they have Aaron Murray, who knows how to get his team in the right spot. So uh, Georgia definitely, I think, LSU, based on what we've seen this year with Zach Mettenberger, uh, he can do it too. I mean, Zach Mettenberger looks like Tom Brady back there. I mean, he's standing tall in the pocket. He knows exactly where to deliver the ball. He's getting it there all the time, on time, every single time. Uh, with wide receiver like Jar- Jarvis Landry right now, is, you know, he's not Mike Evans, he's not even really Jordan Matthews, but he's pretty darn close. So LSU is, is very much in the thick of it. I think both of those games, you know, LSU and then if, if, they, if Alabama does win that game and gets to the SEC championship game, uh, Georgia, both of those teams uh, can certainly present big-time problems for Alabama. And quite honestly, so can Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss's offense is so good. You know Nick Saban hates, um, you know, game-planning against that type of offense. And quite honestly, against dual-threat corner quarterbacks, Nick Saban, with the exception of that, you know, 2011 title game, you know, he does struggle with dual threat quarterbacks, and Bo Wallace is a dual threat quarterback. So I think Ole Miss could, could definitely give them fits. The problem is, can Ole Miss stop anybody? And you know, I, I think that's certainly, uh, you know, remains to be seen. Barrett, how big was that Ole Miss game last night going into Texas? Even though you know Texas has been struggling, Mac Brown's on the hot seat, fired as defensive coordinator. How big was that win to Ole Miss to give them confidence heading into that stretch where they they play the toughest part of their schedule coming up? Oh, it was huge. I mean, remember I, I, I said it several times. Ole Miss is going to struggle to get through the first six games of the season. Well, here they are three and out. So uh, that's a pretty yep. good start. So, um, you know, Ole Miss right now. I mean, you know, that defense I think obviously tightened up in the second half uh, after Texas got you know you know got things going in the second quarter. That offense got things cooking again. You know, it was a huge win. It was a, you know, granted, you know, all of us could probably put together a, a team of, of uh, on offense and, and, and run up the score on Texas the way they're playing. But, um, you know, Ole Miss did it. They, they did it. They executed what they needed to do when they needed to do it. And the defense tightened up. That, that was a big win for Ole Miss. I think it certainly es- elevates them from, I wouldn't say on the periphery, I would say maybe just a competitive football team to a team that conceivably could be a contender if they get an upset here or there. And certainly I think what we've seen so far, they can get that upset. They're a good football team, and it was a big win. I think it, it, maybe, it may have been an on-the-job audition for Hugh Freeze if Mac Brown does leave because I would imagine Texas Brass saw what Hugh Freeze did and said, you know what, that guy may succeed here. We may want him. So we'll see what happens, but it was a great showing. Well, Barrett, my last question for you, and thanks again uh, for coming on. And after this question, I'd like for you to give your contact information, your Twitter information out for all of our followers so they can follow you. But the Auburn Tigers last night, you know, they looked terrible, you know, for those 
first three quarters. They pulled out a win, their first SEC win in a long time. Is Auburn going to get better, in your opinion, as the season goes on? And if so, I mean, can they beat an LSU, Bama, Texas A&M, or Georgia sometime during this season? Just one of them. You know, I don't know if they can beat any of those four teams, but they can certainly compete with those four teams. You know, they've gotten better in every game. Uh, They've, uh, you know, last night, uh, you know, the defense was, uh, you know, I think better in the second half than people give them credit for. When you look at the stats, they were all right. Uh, Offensively, you know, Mississippi State shut down that running game, and that's the foundation of Gus Malzahn's offense is that running game. Mississippi State shut it down, and what you saw was Nick Marshall take control of the game. So now Auburn knows that it can do both. Now Auburn knows that, you know, it can it can run the ball with all three of those running backs, and if they need Nick Marshall to go win a game, Nick Marshall can go win a game because he looked awesome in that final drive. That was one of the most poised offensive, you know, two-minute drills I've seen from any quarterback at any level. I mean, it was it was a really strong performance. So, you know, they're, they're continuing to get better, I think, defensively. Uh, they they got hurt themselves, I think, in the first half because Chris Frost was suspended. Once Chris Frost got back at linebacker, I think the whole defense sort of flowed around him. They didn't have Chris Davis, their star cornerback. That hurt, too. They're going to be okay. They're getting better. They obviously have, have adjusted. And, and Gus Malzahn even said, look, you know, this is Nick Marshall's fifth week on campus, and this is the first time Gus Malzahn hasn't had a quarterback go through spring. So they're still learning about each other, and I think they learned a lot on Saturday night against Mississippi State. I think they'll get, continue to get better. They'll compete with those big teams, but you know, spring in an upset, you know, maybe, maybe not. But again, for Auburn, that, they're three and zero now. They have two easy non-conference games coming up, so they're going to. That, that's an easy five wins. You know, Arkansas, Tennessee still on the schedule. I think Auburn basically assured itself of a bowl game last night, which is big for them. Yeah, I said the same thing when I was watching it. That's the difference between going bowling and, and staying at home, and it's a big win. Mm-hmm. But, Barrett, uh, great stuff tonight, and, and I look forward to hopefully having you again uh, to come on and break down, you know, anything that develops on the investigation. And you know SEC football is going to start heating up. So could you give us your uh, contact information, Twitter information? Yeah, it's uh, Barrett Sally, B-A-R-R-E-T-T-S-A-L-L-E-E on Twitter. And you can bookmark the dedicated FEC blog on Bleacher Report, which is bleacherreport.com slash FEC blog. All right, Barrett. Thanks, man. Great stuff, and I and, uh, hope you have a great week, and we look forward to hearing from you in the future. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. That was Barrett Sully from the Bleacher Report trade. That was some great stuff there. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good stuff, man. I really liked the discussion on uh... – What's going on with us in these investigations? It's really good insider type stuff, man. Yeah, and Paul Ewing, thanks for getting Barrett on for us. Uh, a great interview there. Uh, hey, you know, he talked about Alabama A&M and, and Auburn. He, he gave me a little hope about Auburn. Trey, we'll talk about them when we start doing our college football breakdown. But, you know, let's start out. You know, we're, I'm 4-0 today so far, and we're going to start out with game number five in the NFL, the Packers and the Redskins, trade. Any, I mean, any surprise here to you? Anything that stood out in this game? The Packers looked like they had it from start to finish. No questions. Yeah, I was a little surprised that the Redskins didn't move the ball until later on in the, in the second half when you know RG three kind of got going. He's still a little slow. Um, the Packers, you know, played a better defense in the, in the start of this game. You know, they sort of handled the game, and then you know, of course, then it was all garbage uh, yards for RG three, but. I was surprised that he didn't get going. He's still got a long way to go to get his timing back. It's pretty apparent that he's not on the same page as receivers. But, you know, one of the things that was pretty crazy to Harvin was, 
you know, Y.A. Tittle, a name that not a lot of people, you know, associate with great quarterback play. But, you know, the last time somebody put up numbers like Aaron Rodgers did today was, like, back in 1916, I believe, and it was Y.A. Tittle. So, you know, the numbers Aaron Rodgers put up today were, were quite quite amazing, Carmen. Well, that loss that Green Bay faced against San Francisco, I mean, it just woke them up. And do you think the Washington Redskins defense was just worn out from that Monday night game against Philadelphia in a short week having to come and playing a, an up-tempo offense with Aaron Rodgers? I mean, that's two different offenses, but they're both very fast-paced, no huddle. I, I think Washington was just worn out already. Well, that and Tarvin, I think Washington has some pretty big holes in the defense that we're just now sort of seeing. I mean, last year in the, in the playoff game, we saw some, some holes in that secondary, and you kind of thought they had some time to change it up to get some personnel in, but it, it's pretty apparent now that the Washington Redskins, unless they do a lot of changing up and, and get some more pressure on quarterbacks, they're going to struggle uh, defensively this year, and it's going to come down to – uh, if, if the offense can't get more in sync, I mean, you're talking about a team that's going to need to score 35 points to win every week. I mean, this team, uh, they have a lot of work to do on the defensive end. I mean, you, can, you can't complain with them scoring 30 points on offense. I mean, that's, that, that should win you a lot of NFL games. But, you know, today it equated to a, pretty much a blowout. I mean, they still got, you know, they didn't get, they didn't get much for their points, Tarvin. I mean, that 0-2 start for Washington here, Trey, I mean, it's not looking good to make a playoff push, is it? No, no. You and I have them out of the playoffs, and, you know, it's looking like uh, it's looking it's looking like they, you know, aren't going to make it. I mean, like, you know, 38-20 today, Green Bay dominated the game. They got beat by um, the Eagles in, in week one. Uh, you know, it just This team's got a lot to turn around, Tarvin. It's possible, uh, but it's just not probable at this point. Well, our, our next game, Trey, the Atlanta Falcons at home. They were 0-1 in desperate need of a win. Here's a, the Rams coming in 1-0. and I mean, a chance to start 2-0 and for the first time, what, in 20 years probably, something like that. But the Atlanta Falcons had a big lead in this game, and they, they started playing kind of a prevent, letting St. Louis come back. I mean, this game, Trey, was never close in my opinion, really. Atlanta came out and they started dominating. Any surprise in this game? I mean, Matt Ryan had a good day today with 357 yards passing. The the biggest stat to me, Trey, was zero interceptions. I mean, that's a great day. Yeah, I mean, I I, I thought the Atlanta Falcons would, would win this game. I wasn't, you know, I didn't think it was going to get out of hand the way it did. I mean, this game got out of hand quick. I mean, the Atlanta Falcons jumped all over the Rams. Uh, and really, the Rams had to play really strong to get back into this game. So, you know, I was surprised at how quickly the Falcons uh, jumped on the Rams in this game. But, you know, the big thing for the Falcons, Tarvin, was Steven Jackson left this game very early with a, with a you know, a quad injury and uh, didn't return. So, you know, he's a big part of this offense. They're going to have a, you know, they need him back. Yeah, I mean, the Atlanta Falcons came out. And, and one thing I like about them today, Trey, was their their defense for the most part. But Julio Jones is a beast. When I, when I watched him play today, he was questionable going into this game. I knew there was not a chance for him to miss this one. I did not get to watch all of this game, Trey, but, but from what I, the parts I did see, it looked like Atlanta just dominated from start to finish. Yeah, and thanks to Paul, I said thigh yeah, a thigh injury for – for Steven Jackson, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Julio Jones, you know, he capped this this early lead off of that big touchdown to put him up fourteen to nothing. 
uh, Julio Jones is definitely a star in this league. Uh, he, he's a star in any league. And, and you know, game number three on our list, Trey, I think, did you pick Kansas City or Dallas in this one? Well, Tarvin, I, you know, I picked Dallas to win on the road. Uh, this is my loss in the NFL. This was actually a pretty good game. They got sloppy at times. But, uh, you know, like I told you when we picked these games, I could probably flip a coin on this one. I mean, I really thought that both teams had a really good shot to win. And, you know, it was a very close game. Both teams had a shot to win this game at the end. Uh, and the Chiefs just, you know, ended up with the victory at the end. Well, yes, I picked Dallas to win the East, which they're going to do, everybody. But I did predict them to lose this game on the road. And, and this game went according to, I mean, it was a little sloppier than I thought it would be. Romo with 298, that's about a, a, a normal day at the office for him, Trey. But you look at this game, two, 313 total yards for Kansas City, 318 for Dallas. I mean, really nothing nothing stood out to me in this game except the rushing. Kansas City with 114 yards rushing and, and Dallas 37. And at the end of the day, Trey, that, that's where they lost it. They couldn't run the football. Yeah, I mean, that and, you know, again, you know, people said, you know, okay, you know, they, they, they were so dismissive of Alex Smith. And look at the game management he had. I mean, he he did he did well when he, when the pass wasn't there. What did he do? He used his feet to get four or five yards at a time. You know, at one point he was leading the Chiefs in rushing. I mean, this this guy played a good game. He managed the game very well. He made some pretty good plays. And look what happened, Tarvin. His team is now two and zero, and they just beat the Cowboys. I mean, so this guy doesn't get a lot of credit sometimes because he doesn't put up the four hundred yard games. But he doesn't lose a lot of games either, Tarvin. And you know, I was impressed by his ability to take what was there and then if it wasn't there to either check down or or run the ball for a couple yards and get positive yards so you know the stats don't show a lot for Alex Smith Carvin but you know if you watch the game and I watched a lot of this game um you know you got to be as a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over uh in, in a big down and you know we'll talk about that a quarterback who turned the ball over in a big down later on but you know I just like that when a quarterback knows how to put the football in a very smart position uh, and, and know when to sort of give the ball back and, and not be afraid to punt at times. Yeah, when you look at the red zone for them, like you said, like for Kansas City in the last two years, they were 13-32 with Castle and Quinn, five touchdowns, two picks. Well, this year so far, they're four or five in the red zone, four touchdowns, no picks. That's very efficient. You have a quarterback that, that knows how to get the job done, Trey, and I believe Kansas City is that team you and I both had picked to, to go to the wild card this year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and they're starting off 2-0, and so it's a very good percentage-wise uh, with a chance to make the postseason, you know, so uh, good on the Chiefs. They're 2-0. and you know, like, I, like you said, Tarvin, you know, we both think the Cowboys win the division. I'm not panicking because, I mean, it wasn't like they got blown out. It wasn't like they made a lot of mistakes this game. I mean, DeMarco Murray didn't play a great game, uh, and that's the real concern right now for the Cowboys is, you know, it, can they get the running game going? Yeah, exactly, and I think they will. I think, you know, it's early in the season. They they realize this is not a divisional game or anything. They had they had their big win last Sunday night against the Giants. So, speaking of the Giants, Trey, game two, Peyton came to town. I mean, the Giants are 0-1, and usually when the Giants are underdogs at home, Trey, they cover. But Peyton Manning came in and made sure of that, especially in the second half. This was kind of a – it was a 10-9 game at half. Denver was up. But then he went and, and spanked his little brother 31-14 to 14 in the second half. Tell us your thoughts on this one. 
Well, I mean, you know, both quarterbacks came into this game throwing over 400 yards. It was the first time in NFL history that two guys who threw for over 400 yards ended up meeting each other the next week. So you had two quarterbacks who really had pinnacle-type weeks week before, but this came down to, I mean, Eli had more passing yards than his brother, but, I mean, Eli turned the ball over four times, and Peyton just threw two touchdowns and no picks, and that was really the difference in this game. I mean, you know, Eli with four interceptions, you just don't win in the NFL turning the ball over like that. So, I mean, for the Eli Manning, I mean, the number of interceptions in the first two games has to be a little bit alarming. I mean, he's putting up great numbers when it comes down to, you know, yards passing. But, Tarvin, I mean, the interceptions for the Giants have to be a concern. You know, something's going on. I mean, either either there's a lot of miscommunication, you know, in these routes, or Eli's really pressing. Well, this is one of the main reasons, Trey, uh, I just never had Eli as an elite quarterback. I know he won a couple of rings, but that was the team around him. But, yeah, four interceptions at home. I mean, what is – what's wrong? I mean, is it protection? Is it he doesn't feel comfortable with the protection he's getting, or is he just totally off this year? Well, at least some of them I know have been miscommunications with receivers, which shouldn't happen when you have a group of receivers like he has. I mean – you're talking about a group of receivers he's been throwing the ball to quite a long time. I mean, Victor Cruz and Hakeem Nix. But part of it, I think he's just, you know, there's been some batted balls. And some of it, I think, Tony, he's just pressing. He's putting the ball into coverage when, you know, you really shouldn't. You know, like I said, sometimes it's being smart. And when you're a gunslinger like the Manning, like Eli is, I mean, the guy throws for almost 400 yards in the loss today. Um, you know, sometimes you think that you can put a ball everywhere, but you can't. So in this, and it burned him, Carmen. I mean, you, you sometimes you throw into that tight coverage, it works. But other times, you know, when you're trying to go for so many home run balls, you know, throwing a lot of interceptions. And I think for Eli, he seems to be wanting to go for a lot of home runs. Well, I'll tell you this. If Denver is going to be a serious contender for a Super Bowl this year, they're going to have to straighten out that penalty issue, Trey. I mean, it seems like every time you look, they had 132 yards of penalties, 13 penalties, 132 yards. The Giants, four penalties for 16 yards. Is that something you think Denver is going to be able to clean up? Because that's going to come back and bite them once they play a team that's gelled or they're playing fundamentally sound on both sides of the ball. I think that could be a couple of wins taken away from Denver during this season if if they don't correct this soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that they will, Tarvin. This is one of those teams that I think go in defense. They're, they play aggressively, and they're going to get penalties. And the offense, I think it has to stop. I think, you know, the, the holding penalties you know, and the false starts, things like that, those are the kind of stuff that you can't have. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that Peyton Manning, the way he runs his offense, he's going to be, you know, disciplined on. So, you know, I think they're going to be high in the league in penalties this year, and, you know, they'll be one of those teams that, or made or break on the plays they make and not on the penalties. So we'll have to see. Well, the the Seattle, the number one game, Seattle 49ers, we will talk about that Wednesday night. I believe it's still in a delay trade, no score. Am I correct? Yeah, still in a weather delay. You know, nothing really to report. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson started off the game 0 for 6, and Kaepernick had a pick early in the game. So not much to talk about, weather delay, uh, three minutes left in the first quarter. Well, we had a a great week of college football. I mean, I, I really enjoyed – this is the first time, Trey, that I didn't have to use DVR to watch all the games. Uh, so I was actually at home all day yesterday watching the football games and, 
and it was very exciting. And, and last night's game, which is number 10 on our list here, I'm, I'm going to start on that in a minute, but I, I want to go to the polls real quick, Trey. I'm sorry. Before we move into our games, and when you look at the polls today, did you see anything that, that stood out to you? Well, I'll be honest, I haven't seen all of the polls yet. I saw the top top ten, uh, but I didn't look at the entire polls yet. I'm pulling it up now, Fireman. So what, what you got, man? Well, I mean, I'm looking at the polls, and, and I'm kind of disturbed a little bit that Michigan still ranked 15th after that performance against Akron. I mean, you're a 36-and-a-half-point favorite, and and you you almost lose. You should have lost a team that – that to me says Michigan's what they were before we started this season, Trey. I said Michigan was uh, probably next year, a year or two away from actually being a serious contender, and, and I didn't see them fall the way they should. And then I look at Wisconsin there at number 24. I, I really think they should have dropped out of the polls on that. But other than that, the polls aren't bad. I think Miami's high. They're too high at 16 in the AP poll, but they fell after being on a bye week. But tell us your thoughts about Texas A&M falling to 10 in the AP after losing. Do you think that was fair, or do you think they should have dropped further? Well, I mean, I think that's about fair. When you look at, I mean, the teams below them in the AP, I mean, South Carolina has a loss at 12. You know, Oklahoma State's at 11. I'm not, they haven't really played anybody yet, so I'm okay there. You know, UCLA, I think, has an argument to be a little higher at 13. I was really impressed by their performance, which we'll talk about here in a second. But I mean, it, no. I mean, really, I can't put another team above Texas A&M. So, yeah, I, I think Georgia, you know, who's above A&M, could easily be behind them. So, you know, you got three one-loss teams at nine, ten, and twelve, Tarvin. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to to rack and stack those teams right now. Well, one thing that surprises me before we get into our games is Oregon only has one first-place vote. And after watching them yesterday, and we will talk about that game. I really do think Oregon right now is the best team in the country. From t- I mean, all around, you know, both sides of the football right now. I mean, until they beat an SEC team, they're still the Oregon Ducks. But, Trey, this team should strike fear into you, especially if you're Alabama out there. Just say Alabama runs the table, I think Oregon will. I mean, this could be probably one of the best national championship games of all time. I'm just surprised they don't have more first-place folks after people have watched them play the last three weeks. Well, I mean, they didn't beat a top-ten team, though. I mean, you know, that's the thing. You know, Alabama went out and they beat a top-ten team. And they really, you know, it's funny. We're not working ahead of ourselves. But I think that's, that's the reason, Harvard. I mean, you got to go out and you got to get a, a quality, you know, statement-type win, and right now they don't have it. Yeah, I mean, but the way they're beating opponents in Tennessee is no slouch. We'll talk about that game. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But let's move into game number 10, Trey. Mississippi State at Auburn. Uh, both of us had Auburn winning this game, and, and I'm sure we were both sweating there at the end. Uh, looking at this game, Trey, it took a, a what an 88-yard drive by Auburn in the fourth quarter, less than two minutes. Just like Barrett said, that's probably one of the best two-minute drives I've seen in a long time. Well, I mean, yeah, Auburn, it was a really critical drive for them, and I think it it was one of those drives that's going to help them build a lot of momentum for the season. And, and for Mississippi State, it's kind of like the same old, same old. They can't beat a quality team. So, it's you know, it, it shows you, you know, kind of where Mississippi State is in the SEC and, you know, and how Auburn fought back. And, you know, that was that was, that was was good. I mean, 
you got to be proud if you're an Auburn fan to see as poorly as they played at times in that game. I mean, Mississippi State really should have won that game, but Auburn fought back, and that drive really kind of is, could be a lot of momentum for them this year. Well, I think this is the last time you'll see a stat where Auburn was held to 120 yards on the ground. I just don't think that'll happen again this season. But just like Barrett said, you know, we knew Auburn could run the football, but we did have question marks, and you did, Trey, about Nick Marshall, what he could do. But I think there's a turning point in every season for teams, and I think this is one of them for Auburn right now. I mean, this being 2-1 and one, heading into Baton Rouge, Trey, and LSU blow Auburn out and say it could get ugly, but this is confidence. For a 3-0 and Auburn team now, as long as they go to LSU, and play competitive. You never know what can happen as long as you're in the game. But one thing I'll tell you that surprised me last night, and this is uncharacteristic of an Auburn team, one penalty for five yards, Trey. In the last probably seven or eight years, I don't remember a game ever like that with Auburn. They've been penalized, but they did turn the ball over three times in this game. But tell us about what what you thought about this game when you were watching it or, or any stats you're looking at. Well, you know, when I was looking at this game, one of the things I saw was Auburn still has some, some defensive issues with mobile quarterbacks, and, and obviously the turnover bug in this game was, was in a, you know, there was times that it really seemed to hurt. Uh, but what I liked about Auburn in the, it was the fourth quarter sort of po- you know, composure they had. I mean, Auburn really, when it came down to, you know, the very nitty-gritty, you know, teams oftentimes will buckle, and Auburn, Auburn didn't. So I think that, that, that you know, looked well for the coaching to get them ready for that moment. And then obviously for the players, and, and Nick Marshall progressed. I still think he has a lot of progressing to do, uh, but it showed at least some progression for him, Tarvin. And I, I think, you know, if you're looking at Auburn, you know, maybe maybe that's enough, enough momentum to beat somebody real. We'll, we'll see. Um, but, you know, for Auburn, you know, this is the kind of game they didn't have last year. So definitely a much better Auburn team than we saw last year. Yeah, but that's what I was hoping for. And, and, Trey, you made a good point when we were talking before the show. You know, Dan Mullen, it seemed like he had chances to, to kind of put this game away. And and once he, he realized that Auburn finally stopped the quarterback from rushing the football, it just seems like he just got conservative just, just looking to run the clock out. Tell us your thoughts on Dan Mullen's play selection and, and that final few drives. Yeah, I mean, I thought the most of the fourth quarter, Mississippi State was very. I thought the way I described it to you when we were on the phone was he was playing not to not to or not to lose rather than playing to win. It's that, that kind of when you get up on somebody and you're not sure what to do or you're scared that you can't hold on, you run very conservative play calls. You're conservative on defense. You know, on on special teams, you see, you know, how they punt or they, whatever they do. You know, it just seemed to me. That, that he was desperate, and you saw that when they were, you know, I think they were, was he on his own 30 or on 27, something like that, and they went for it. I was like, holy cow. And I, was, I thought he was on I was his watching. 18. No, I think or it was 20. 27. And, yeah, it was a 20 or 27, but, yeah, it was he was well with his, 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 own, his own goal or his own side of the field. Let's put it that way, Tarvin. I just thought that it came off as, as insanely desperate, Um you know, I just thought, well, God, this guy's got huge cojones. That's one of the things I was watching the game with a friend. I was like, man, this guy must have a tough time walking around. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, that sort of describes the entire fourth quarter of that game from Mississippi State's play calling was they were playing the game not to lose. And, and you saw that in the quarterback play, and you saw that in the coaching. Yeah, and, and one thing 
about Auburn, I could tell it was like they were trying to get that monkey off their back. There was a tightness to that offense that, that I think as the season goes on, it will get better and loosen up and start flowing better. But it was like they didn't want to lose. It's like Auburn was playing that way as well. I didn't like the play calling. I, I didn't like the pass calling, you know, the, some of those short passes that didn't do anything instead of running the football. Gus Malzahn, one thing he he knows the importance, run the football downhill, and that generates that play action, and, and he vertically attacks you. So against LSU coming up, we'll preview that game. They have to play better in every facet of their football game. The penalties are great. they got to cut down the turnovers. You go into Baton Rouge Wednesday or Saturday night with three turnovers, you're going to get stoned. So this is going to be an interesting game. And, Trey, I guess the question is, will this make your list next week? Hmm. Well, you just have to wait and see, man. The next week, it's kind of a next week's not a very great week for college football all in matchups. I mean, heck, game days announced they're going to a, you know, I think an FCS school. They're going to North Dakota State. So, not a premier game on the matchup next week, but there's some interesting ones. We'll see, Tarvin. We'll see. Yeah, you got to put that game on there, of course, the one that game day is going to. But Florida, Tennessee is another great matchup that we'll we'll talk about. But Trey, getting on to number nine, Florida State, Nevada. This is a game that that usually Florida State kind of you know sleepwalks in, and, and at first in that first half they were sleepwalking. You could tell they they just weren't into that game, and all of a sudden in the second half, Florida State just beat the brakes off Nevada. Are you surprised at the final score? Yeah, I was watching that game too. I DVR'd a bunch. That was one of the times where I was DVRing games. But uh, you know, you're right. It was a sleepwalking game in the very beginning. I mean, but Jameis Winston, if you look at his numbers to the first two games, Tarvin, I got to tell you, I'm even, I'm even starting to buy into the hype. And I'm a, I'm a, you know, an old Florida State fan who, who hasn't won in so long that I can't believe we're, we might be good. So, you know, I, I just. Uh, just 15 for 18, 214 yards, two touchdowns. He was almost perfect after his interception. And the rushing attack is really what I like to see because if you're a Florida State fan, you know that we haven't had a, a guy who has had over 1,000 yards rushing since Wharf done. And so seeing, you know, a a guy who at his first carry goes 60 yards to the house uh, in, in, in college football and, you know, having another guy over 100 yards, and that's what you like to see against a, a – an inferior opponent. You like to see us cramming the football down their throats. I mean, that's, that's the way Nick Saban would do it. So, I like I, that's what I like to see that against a you know a, a very mediocre opponent. And Winston didn't have to run the ball, but you know it's what was it, seventeen to seven at the half, and all of a sudden Florida State comes out with thirty-one unanswered points there in the third quarter, and then just topped it off with fourteen for a sixty-two to seven victory. That's what I wanted to see. That's what I was worried about with Florida State, to see how they did against opponents when it wasn't a big game. You know, it was just sleepwalking to me. But it looked like Jimbo Fisher got their attention. So great job, Florida State, on that one. And, Trey, that moves us to number eight. This was a an interesting game for the way Illinois beat Cincinnati the prior week. But Illinois was undefeated. And here comes Washington, a Pac-12 team into town. This was a sloppy game to me when I watched it, but at the end of the day, Washington pulls out a victory on the road, and I think they'll take it. Yeah, I mean, this game, you have to think about one of the things about this game was it was in Soldier Field. This was a, a neutral you know, site, but more, of course, more in Illinois territory than Washington territory. 
So Washington coming across the country, obviously starting the game much earlier. You know, this is another team that has really impressed me with how they've come a long way. I mean, this team was awful just last year, and now they're beating, you know, and you're saying, okay, it's just Illinois. But for Washington, all these wins matter because this is a program that's trying to get relevant in the Pac-12. And you know, I know they're ranked now, but they're trying to keep that self, you know, that their self up in that sort of upper echelon of the Oregon and Stanford and the UCLA's of the Pac-12. And, you know, and they can steal some momentum with USC struggling you know, Washington with the recruiting right now, if you watch recruiting, this is an up-and-coming recruiting team. And so every win like this really matters. I mean, you know, Price at the quarterback position for the Huskies, 342 and two touchdowns, Carvin, and then their running back ran for over 200 yards. That's good stuff right there. Yeah, one thing that's fishy to me, Trey, the point spread on this game was 10-and-a-half. You look at Washington favored on the road, and you look at the stats in this game, 615 yards to 327 in favor of Washington, 342 passing to 191 Illinois, 273 rushing for Washington, 136 for Illinois. And they all, I mean, two turnovers for Washington, one for Illinois. Trey, how did Illinois stay in this game without getting beat by 40 points? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, the statistics of this game are so lopsided. I mean, really what it came down to, and this game was just sort of opportunistic play by Illinois to get on the board when they could. I mean, they took every shot they had, and it really took it. I mean, this game didn't have a score in the first, in the first quarter. Uh, and then the second, you know, there was really – they were still in this game at halftime, which I was surprised with how much Washington was moving the ball. Uh, so, you know, just one of those weird games where Illinois seemed to just hang around, which I couldn't figure out how. Uh, but the big play helped them. I mean, they had that 72-yard touchdown pass in the third quarter, and, you know, that was sort of what kept them in it. But this, you know, this this Washington team put a lot of point, excuse me, a lot of uh, of offense in this game. Yep, and they're about the arc horse in that Pac-12 to make some noise straight. I have them beating Stanford. So it's looking more and more likely that this could happen now after seeing Washington play and watching Stanford play against Army yesterday. You just never know. I'm still not sold on Stanford yet. But, you know, when they play a, a better opponent, Trey, I'm sure they'll They'll step it up. But our next game, Ohio State goes on the road without Braxton Miller to California, Trey. I mean, California is not known to have a defense, and and that showed. Ohio State put up 52 points, beat them 52 to 34. Are you excited now? Are you are you more of a believer in Ohio State that they played with a backup quarterback and beat Cal, or is this something they should have done anyway? Well, no, I, I think this is a legitimate win. I mean, we kind of sk- we skipped the South Carolina game. But we can come back to that one, Tarvin. But yeah, I mean, you have a backup quarterback and against a decent Cal team. I mean, this is still a bottom goer of the Pac-12. But I think that defense for Ohio State. A lot of people have. You know, this is the kind of game that Ohio State almost blew every single time last year on their way to a perfect record. So the fact that with a backup quarterback, I mean, because Braxton Miller was a game time decision, so it's not as if I think the team mentally were prepared to go in with a back quarterback unless unless we knew something or didn't know something that the team did. But to drop 52 points for the back quarterback, Tom, I got to tell you, I was impressed. I, I kind of expected this to be a a game in the very you know to the very end of the game and watching Ohio State pull out another you know late you know late win, but you know they dominated this game. Yeah, I mean, but I, I think Ohio State took a took a step back. To me, I think they, in my polls, and I'll give you my top five in a few minutes, 
this Ohio State defense, Trey, could you imagine them stepping on the field with Alabama's offense, Oregon's offense, somebody like that, and actually trying to compete, Texas A&M? I mean, they would get dusted. They, somebody might put 100 on Ohio State, Trey. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, that's the you know the, the same bunch of people were saying that you know Texas A and M were going to get dusted by Alabama, and that didn't happen either. So, you know, I mean, you know, you don't know until they play. I mean, Ohio State's got a lot of ground to cover to be competitive. I think with you know with with an Alabama, but they still they certainly have the talent on the field. And defensively, you're right; they have the most ground to cover. But offensively, this this team looks pretty good. I was impressed offensively. I mean, defensively, they still have a lot of holes in the secondary. Yeah, and we'll keep our eye on the Buckeyes. I'm interested to see where you have them, Trey, once we're finished with these games. Well, this is no surprise to me. The or- I mean, it is a surprise to me. I'm sorry. The Oregon Ducks at home, Trey, played the Tennessee Volunteers. And Oregon came out, you know, they, they didn't score. What was it, their first four possessions? Tennessee was up in this game seven to nothing or seven to three um, for a lot of the first quarter, and then all of a sudden Oregon started just getting in that rhythm. Trey, tell us your thoughts on this game. This was fifty-nine to fourteen, Oregon. Yeah, and Tarver, are you going to go back and hit the South Carolina game? Oh, did we miss the South Carolina game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, but um, let's. I'm sorry. Let, let's let's go ahead and do this Oregon game, and then we'll come back to that one. Sorry about that. All right, that's fine. Yeah, I mean. Tarman, the Oregon game, I mean, I don't know if, if you were watching it, but, I mean, they, Oregon put up, and at first, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle at very, the very, very beginning. But, I mean, this game got so out of hand so fast. I, I just – the speed of Oregon was incredible. I mean, they had so many big plays in this game. And, that, you know, just it seemed – and one of the things that I was watching this with a friend, I was watching football with a friend, I said every time we flipped over to that game, it seemed like Oregon was an offense. I mean, every single time. And you know, so and the fact that you know that defense stymied Tennessee, and then that offense just big play after big play after big play. Tarvin, I was I was really impressed with that offense. And Oregon is is a solid solid team. And that that Stanford game is going to be good. I mean, yeah, I don't think so. That's where we differ, Trey. But 687 yards for Oregon, 316 for Tennessee. That's not enough. And, you know, the big question for us, Trey, was Tennessee been able to keep up scoring points by being able to throw the ball. I knew they could run the ball, which they didn't run as good as I thought they would. But 138 yards passing, Trey, is not going to get it done against an Oregon team on the road. That's just the bottom line. That's the, that's the part that killed Tennessee. They couldn't make any plays in the passing game. Well, I mean, they couldn't make any plays really anywhere. I mean, they they were bottled up all when it came down to everywhere. But I mean, they just the big playability. I mean, Tennessee could not hang on uh, defensively to the big playability of Oregon. I mean, they were just just the speed of Oregon. It's kind of I never thought that I would say that you know when you see an SEC team with you know, the historic you know 800 wins like Tennessee has in their franchise being so much slower on the field than Oregon. I mean, Oregon was just so fast, Tarvin. They are fast. Yeah, and, and they're the team. And, and, and I, they said something on it, like when Jeff Kelly was there last year, how much faster, what did they say, every 13 seconds a ball snapped? I mean, that's crazy. I mean, you start thinking about that over a period of a game, your defense loses focus, Trey. 
you start missing tackles, you get tired, you make mental mistakes, and that's where Oregon is so good. They just they put you to sleep. I mean, Tennessee is not a bad football team. They're they're in the same boat as Auburn. They're rebuilding. They're looking forward to the future. But you know, they didn't expect to be you know beaten this bad by Oregon, and it surprised me. Fifty nine to fourteen. I did think Tennessee would put up some more points, Trey. It didn't surprise me that Oregon scored 59, I guess. I just thought Tennessee would score more than 14 points. And it's something they're going to have to get you know, better in next week when they go on the road to Florida. They're going to have to find some offense because Florida's defense is very good in the swamp, and Oregon's defense is very good too. So how does Tennessee go from I mean, where, where do they go from here, Trey? Well, I mean, you know, this this game is gonna. We knew this was the start of a just in a murderous row for Tennessee, and so you're gonna see not only what the you know what the players were made of, but just how healthy Tennessee can stay, and how they can keep these guys in the field with such great competition. So we're gonna learn a lot about Tennessee's players and some of the young guys they have on this team because they're gonna need to show something. Because I mean, week after week, they're gonna be playing. Their talent level is just—it's not going to go away, Tarvin, for the Tennessee team. Their, their opponents just get better and better. Well, we're going to take a couple of calls real quick. Um, you're on Way in Sports, CPL two two eighty seven. Who is this? The shit in my ass. I got I got shit in my ass. Okay, that's the guy that that needs a girlfriend, Trey. It sounds like I have his information down. So I, I love prank calls because. It's, it's real bad on them after the show. But we have Jason Humphrey, the big Oregon Duck fan. Uh, what's up, Jason? How did you like the game yesterday? Um, first quarter, I was cussing up a storm. Oregon looked at a terrible. And if um, the kicker, Mononondo, kicked a game-winning field goal, I am going to go look. That kid cannot kick a field goal to save his dong life. He missed a 38-yard field goal yesterday with no pressure. Jason, you're calling me and you're talking about a missed field goal with a 59 to 14 win. Hey, hey! Last two years, last two years, field goals have cost us. Last two years. So, Jason, I'm about to say Oregon. Oregon could beat half the NFL teams out there right now, man. What do you think? Whoa, whoa, whoa. NFL is a different species. All right. Um, Oregon's really good. For years, I've been saying on the show, Oregon has a good defense. And they started yesterday. They gave up seven points to Tennessee. And for Tennessee fans out there, keep your head up. You guys could still go out there and beat Florida, beat Alabama, not saying that they will, but they have an opportunity. This is Carter's football, and anything could happen. So, All right, Jason, man. Thanks for the call. Trey, big duck stand on the line. I mean, I can't believe he's, he's talking about a missed field goal here. I think Trey, Trey's on. Are you on mute? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was, I was just talking away, Tarvin. I'm on mute. But, yeah, I mean, way to be picky about, I mean, um, about, about that. Um, I'm, I'm reading a story online about how uh, some Oregon tight end is upset at how the, the Oregon Ducks coach, Mark Helfrey, 
described his absence from Saturday's win. So apparently there's some sort of issue with Oregon's tight end. But, you know, Tarvin, I just I can't agree with, with, with Jason on his uh, concern about their kicker right now. I mean, it doesn't look like they're going to need him just yet. But uh, we'll, we'll see, Tarvin. I think the, the first time they'll need him is in the Stanford game. Well, the the late look. Let's look at the stats real quick. Mariota, twenty three of thirty three, four fifty six, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Trey, is that enough to get him in the top five for the Heisman? Oh yeah, I mean, he's been in my top five since you know before the season began, and he's still there. Uh, Marcus Mariota is is absolutely in my top five. Well, the the thing in this game, the my you know my game ball award goes to the Oregon defense in this game. I mean, they held Tennessee, they held Lane to 63 yards on 13 attempts, and they held Neal to 42 yards on 12 attempts. Oregon understood, Trey, in order to beat them and to avoid any upset, they just loaded the box and stopped the run, and they forced Worley to beat them, and he couldn't. 13 to 25, 126 yards, a touchdown, no picks on the road, but it's still not enough offense. So I'm sure Tennessee is going to be looking for a quarterback in this recruiting class. Well, yeah, they're going to have to. I mean, they still need uh, – I mean, I think receiving-wise, they got some talented guys there, but uh, they still need pieces, Tarvin. They still got a lot of recruiting to do. Butch Jones has come a long way, but you can't you can't build a program up in a, in a single offseason. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you that Tennessee is, is going to come close, if not beat Florida this weekend. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you that, and, and Jonathan in the chat room, it said Tennessee will get Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina a fight, and you throw Auburn in there. Um, they can beat Auburn. That game's in Tennessee. And, I mean, Tennessee's got a very tough schedule, but they're going to beat two teams this year that they probably shouldn't. So watch out for Tennessee this year. And if you're Coach Jones, Trey, what are you saying to your team right now? How are you getting them focused, you know, after that 59-14 to 14 loss? Well, I mean, I think you got to focus on the fact that, you know, you play it week by week. You can't get ahead of yourself in the schedule. You can't get too far down or too far up based on the, what happened the week before. You know, you you're, you have to focus each week and, and let each week before go. So, I mean, you're 2-0 and before Oregon. You're 2-1. and You know, it's a loss is a win. A loss is a loss and a win is a win. So, you know, you just got to focus on the next week to get a win. You know, you can't, you can't look at the, the point spread. You can't look at what happened on the field. You got to focus on the next opponent, and that's what you got to do. You got to refocus yourself. Well, we'll be following the Tennessee Vols very closely, and I know your fans out there, you're disappointed right now, but don't be. I mean, this is early in the season. This is a part of the rebuilding phase. You're two and one right now. You have your biggest rival coming. You're going there this weekend. No, no time to sit here and worry about that Oregon game. It's a non-conference game. It doesn't matter right now. Uh, but, Trey, I'll go back and touch the game. South Carolina was at home against Vanderbilt. Uh, I thought South Carolina would run away with this game. They did run away with it, and all of a sudden they let Vanderbilt score 15 points in the fourth quarter to pull it to 10. 35-25 South Carolina. What stood out to you in this game? Well, what stood out to me was the fact that South Carolina didn't score in the fourth quarter at all. Um, that was, I think, I think problematic that South Carolina could not score at all. And, in fact, they only scored once in the third quarter. So, I mean, this was a 28-point uh, you know, uprising in the first half of this game and only a seven point the rest of the way. So, you know, had Bandy got anything in the third quarter, this would have been a very, very tight game. But, you know, for South Carolina, that defense is still showing some, some problems, Tarvin. 
and that that's that's what's causing me a lot of concern. The offense is doing what I thought they would do, put up 25, 35 points a game. But when you're you know you're giving up 25 points to Vanderbilt, you know who's a pretty decent ball club, but still, Tarvin, it's a good win. But defensively, you gotta you gotta be looking at some of the, the holes they have. Connor Shaw had a good game. 21 and 29, 284 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, you know, Clowney was better in this game, Tarvin, but they still got some defensive woes. But see, I mean, they only gave up 147 yards in the air and 121 on the ground for 268. I know it's Vanderbilt, but I think that's a better performance. You know, that's you're at home, and I just think in that fourth quarter they kind of. They kind of laid back a little bit, Trey, and let Vanderbilt come in there and sneak a cover in because South Carolina was favored 14 points. It dropped to 12. They had this game in the bag, and all of a sudden that backdoor touchdown by Vanderbilt, Trey, is one of the reasons it's hard to bet on college football when you're favored in the SEC or any conference for that matter are these scores at the end of the game. And that's one thing about South Carolina. I think in order – you coming off a loss to Georgia really – you know, a couple of weeks ago, they need to focus on that more. Or last week was that last weekend? Yeah, it was last weekend. Yeah, right? yeah, it was. Yeah, you have to focus on that. You can't let Vanderbilt put up 15 points in the fourth quarter and you not even score. South Carolina scored seven points in the second half. Trey, that's just not acceptable. I'm sure Spurrier's not very happy about that. No, no. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, man. It just for South Carolina, it's a good win. It's a conference win. But there's a lot to be fixed here. And, you know, South Carolina is a team that, you know, a lot of us had going very far this year. And, you know, this performance didn't encourage that prediction, Tarvin. Hey, breaking news right now, Trey, in the NFL, the Seahawks are up two to nothing right now. Yeah, the safety. So, yeah, so it's looking good right now for us with the Seattle Seahawks pick. So we'll see. Um, let's move on, Trey. Uh, don't want to waste any more time because I know we're going to talk a lot about this game. Wisconsin, the 20th ranked team, went on the road to Arizona State. And, you know, I know for some reason Paul Ewing is very upset about this game. He must have lost some money, Trey, because it all goes down to that call at the end of the game. Give us your thoughts on this game and that call. Well, I mean, he's not the only one upset. I mean, you hate to see a, a game come down to a blown call. I mean, I'd rather had Wisconsin missed a field goal or botched it some way. But, I mean, this is just a terrible officiating call. And for those of you who didn't see it, uh, we, we we posted this on our Twitter feed uh, last night or in the, and this morning. Uh, basically, they had about 18 seconds left in the game. Uh, Stavey, the quarterback for Wisconsin, um, kneeled the ball in the middle of the field uh, and then set the ball down. And as soon as he touched his knee down, it was a really quick moment. Uh, and then basically the officials just didn't do anything. They didn't reset the ball. Um, they let the defenders for Arizona State just lay there on the offensive side of the ball and let time run out. Uh, so it was just very disappointing that the officials so poorly managed the last part of the game and, and they let the game end on what it shouldn't have. I mean, they should have had a chance for a spike. They should have had plenty of time to do that. Um the the Wisconsin coach said they they routinely run that play in practice and it takes three to five seconds overall, uh, and I, I can believe that it's a play that you do practice in college in college and NFL. Heck, you practice, you practice it in Pee Wee sometimes, Tarvin. So to to have it come down and poor officiating and a call that, I mean that that play happens all the time in football. You know, a kneel down for a field position for the field goal and an immediate spike, and so the officials have to know that happens. 
Uh, and, you know, it costs Wisconsin the game. I mean, 30 to, 32 to 30, Arizona State win. It's a great win for Arizona State, but, you know, I'd, I'd prefer to have seen the field goal kick and let it let football, you know, play itself out. Yeah, but why be cute if you're, if you're Wisconsin there? Why do you have to have it in the middle of the field with no timeouts? Don't you have to be more careful than what Wisconsin? Anytime you're on the road, you have a Pac-12 officiating crew I mean, you you can't leave it in their hands, and that's exactly what Wisconsin did. It sucks, but at the end of the day, why did he fumble the ball like that and make it make the defender think it was a fumble? And even some of the officials, because with the naked eye, you're watching the game, you think, oh God, did he fumble? And so I think he should have went to a knee and gave the ball to the official real quick and got everybody lined up. If that would have happened, Wisconsin could have kicked the field goal, won the game. I'm blaming. The, the quarterback and the coaching staff for Wisconsin for this too, Trey. The officials, they did screw up, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, it's the coach's fault as well. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you look where the official is, I mean, yeah, we as in the audience who were watching it had a different angle, and you're kind of blocked by the quarterback, but the officials are right behind the quarterback. I mean, he has to be paying attention, and it, and it looks like he wasn't paying attention at all what the quarterback was doing. I mean, he's the one who has the direct angle right behind the quarterback. It shouldn't have been um, it shouldn't have been any hard for him to see. I mean, had he been positioned uh, the way, way he should have been, had he been paying attention, I mean, you know, it's easy to be fooled on camera when we're watching it, but it's a different thing to be, you know, five yards behind the quarterback and not see that, Tarvin. It's just, it's just um, players can't play the game to help the officials do their job. And that, that's what basically I think your argument is, is like the players should have been more apparent for their actions to the officials. The officials just got to get it right. Yeah, they do. But, I mean, again, you're on the road. And when has the Pac-12 officials ever done anything good, Trey? I mean, they, they're always doing crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, they did they did botch this. And it's sad because you go out there as your Wisconsin team and you fight for four quarters and then all of a sudden you feel like you got cheated. That's a long way to travel, Trey, to get cheated by an officiating crew. Yeah, I mean, just for – and the other thing, too, is Paul pointed this out in the chat room. The official stood over the ball uh, for eight seconds without spotting it. So he's sitting there standing over the football, not letting it get hiked for eight seconds. I mean, what is going on? Um, there's no excuse for that, Tarvin. There's no excuse. I'd like to see Paul get with that official and see what he would say to him. But uh, anyway, Arizona pulled it out. And I think that's the reason, Trey, that Wisconsin's still in the polls is because the voters, the AP voters, believe they got screwed and should have won that game. So I guess kudos for the AP for, for not dropping them out of the poll, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think Arizona, uh, Arizona State should not probably – well, at least to put it this way, Tarvin – there should have been a field goal kick. Now, I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think we know what would happen with that kick. I don't think we can assume that it would be made. I mean, even if it was a close kick, even if it was right in the middle, you just can't assume a field goal kick is going to be made. But I think because of the fact that that we don't know what would have happened and then the game was taken out of Wisconsin's, you know, hands, so to speak, I think that's the reason why they're still ranked. Now, let me get the call-in number real quick, 646-716-5564. If you'd like to call in, Trey, we're going to wrap up after these couple of games we're about to go over. We're going to finish out with the last three. Ole Miss at Texas. I mean, I I went back and forth on the show the other night. I picked Ole Miss to win, and then I, I went back and picked Texas. So one of the games I lost here, but Mac Brown, Trey, 
my God, this team has quit on him. I mean, how long are they going to keep him around? I know we talked about this the other night, but now you lose to a team at home by 20, what was it, 21 points that you beat by 30 at their place last year. Something has to change and change fast. It's not just the defensive coordinator's problem. No, I mean, no, the defense is still not good. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, defensively, this team um, still has a lot of problems. But here, here's the big problem in this game, Tarvin. It, it, this game was, at the half, a 27-point difference in, in the ballgame. So Texas did not score in the third or fourth quarter. So this is not just a defensive problem. I mean, offensively, they scored zero in the second half. And they were actually winning this ball game going into halftime, yep. and they gave up 27 points in the second half, 20 in the third quarter and seven in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, yes, giving up 44 points defensively is a problem, but if you don't give your defense any chance to rest, and there were a lot of punts in the second half for this Texas team. So, I and mean, they just, I mean, offensively and defensively are wrecked, Harvin. And, uh, by the way, just to update, Colin Kaepernick just got sacked and fumbled. Surprise, surprise. Kaepernick on the road is going to cost this team the game tonight. And, and Trey, you're right. They were winning at halftime, and I don't know what Mac Brown did at halftime. He must have not given them the pep talk they needed because, I mean, God, you get 320 yards of total offense at home against Ole Miss, you've got a terrible, terrible offense because Ole Miss has a bad defense. And, and you'll see as their SEC schedule goes on, they're going to get – carved up by some of these offenses, and that's what concerns me. Texas should be able to beat Ole Miss at home with the talent they have. We sh- we went over the recruiting the last show, how many years that they've dominated recruiting, how many top five classes they had, but, but my God, it's terrible. McCoy, 24-36, 196 yards. I mean, that's not going to get it done, Trey, but at the end of the day, should Mac Brown be fired tomorrow? Monday when they come in, should they fire him and get the week started right? You know, I don't know when to fire him, to be honest. I think you have to evaluate, you know, the recruits that you have coming in and what's best for the program and, you know, keeping the most of the recruits that you want to keep, Um, but also giving the new coaching staff enough time to bring – I mean, part of the problem is they can't recruit a quarterback, so they got to recruit some talent on offense, some playmakers, I mean, you know, the last time I remember a playmaker coming out of Texas was Jamal Charles. So it's been a while. Um, and, you know, I could be wrong. There could be another guy out there. But, um, you know, so they, they need they, – the talent's there, Tarvin. They have guys uh, who, who are wanting to go there. But they can't seem to get them in uniform and get the most out of them. So you're right. I, I think, you know, for me, I was I was not on that bandwagon for the longest time, Tarvin. But now I'm on the bandwagon. I think Mac Brown's got to go. Yeah, and I don't think you wait, because if you wait, it's just going to be the same frustration for the fans. All of a sudden, it's going to be like Auburn when you look up and there's nobody there watching you because they're trying to send a message to get this coach out of here. And even if it's an announcement that says, hey, Mac Brown's going to finish this season out, but he will not be back as head coach, I don't think you do that to him. I think he's done enough of that program in the past where you, you do it respect, but you just fire it. You don't waste any time. You don't leave him on. Just fire him. Get it over with because if it doesn't happen, this you think this is bad, losing to BYU and Ole Miss, just wait till they get into their Big 12 conference. These guys in the Big 12, they, they smell blood in the water and they're about to attack. So the best thing you can do is get rid of your coach and, and just hope to God that's the problem. And, and I mean, Trey, it's not going to be hard to find a coach to replace Mac Brown. It is Texas, by the way. 
But the second yeah. game, we're going to do number two on our list, UCLA at Nebraska. Trey, it started off like Nebraska was up 21-3 to in this game. And, and mm-hmm. I remember telling Jonathan that they were about to – they're going to choke. I mean, the first half of Nebraska's it was a morning game. You know, UCLA is very early in the morning. UCLA wakes up in the second half and outscores them 31 to nothing. So it was 21 to three. So they went on a 38 to nothing run. Trey, what's up in Nebraska? How long are they going to leave Pelini around? I think he needs to go. Well, yeah, Nebraska's not used to this. I mean, well, I think the real question for Nebraska is is who comes next. And I think you know maybe a Nebraska insider could tell us that. And who comes next? I mean. Um, Certainly, I don't know if Josh Shaw is in our chat room, but he was predicting a big Cornhusker win. He's a big Cornhusker fan and, and, he, and writer. But, you know, who's after Taylor Martinez? What's, what's next for them? Because, you know, he's not been an answer for their program. He's been a decent quarterback, but he certainly hasn't been the kind of quarterback to lead them to BCS glory. You know, he, this is a career starter. You know, he was okay uh, in the first first quarter time. He was, he was on. I mean, it just – he couldn't find space. Again, another second-half shutout that we're talking about. Nebraska scored zero in the second half. They were outscored by 31 points uh, in the third and fourth quarter. So, you know, we talked about Hundley, how, you know, I thought this kid's possible top-five quarterback. I mean, he looked really good uh, in the second half of this game. He struggled for a little bit at first with an interception. So, you know, talent, talent after a while, Parvin, will, will come around. And, and you saw Hundley come around in this game. So, yeah, UCLA is that team in the Pac-12 that could beat anybody. I mean, with a quarterback like they have, dual threat, they can make plays. I mean, you never can count UCLA out. That was a big win for them. Could you imagine if Michigan would have lost to Akron, how big of a Wisconsin losing to the Pac-12 uh, with Arizona State and UCLA doing this? If Michigan would have lost, it would have been the worst day in Big Ten history. Yeah, yeah, the Big Ten would have taken would have. I mean, it took a lot of lumps as it is, Tarvin, but it had been even it been even worse. So, um, you know, Ohio State and Michigan sort of held their ground a little bit, uh, but the rest of the conference didn't look, look too all that hot. So we'll have to see what happens with the Big Ten, Tarvin, because you're right, and this is kind of a barometer week. We talked about that, you know, on Wednesday, um, and the Big Ten did not look to do very well in their barometer week. No, they didn't. And our last game, and we talked about it a lot already, uh, with Barrett on Alabama at Texas A&M. Um, I thought Alabama would win by a little more than what they did, Trey. Uh, at the end of the day, what, what what surprised you the most in this game? Well, I believe what you said, Tarvin, was they were going to get skull drug, right? Um, yep. So, I mean, here, what, here's what surprised me. I was shocked at how – to be honest, how good Johnny Manziel was in this game. I mean, I thought A&M was going to hang around uh, in this game. I thought it was going to be kind of close. Uh, so it was. But, you know, you live and die uh, by the talent that you have. And Johnny Manziel, and, and not only Johnny Manziel, I mean, Evans, Tarvin, this receiver for Texas A&M, was a, just a beast. Uh, he saved Manziel a lot of grief by catching some passes that I thought were, were just ridiculous. But, um, I had a friend who's an Alabama fan, Tarvin, and, and they tweeted out that they thought that they just beat Johnny Manziel down in this game. And they, they just, I said, no, there's no way. Alabama survived Johnny Manziel. I mean, this kid had over 500 yards of offense and five touchdowns. Um, you know, you talk about what if, Tarvin, 
I, mean, I think Matt, you you obviously were only in this game because of Manziel because the defense was so terrible, but you also probably lost this game because of Manziel because it was that that interception in the end zone, and if that had you know not been thrown, Tarvin, this could have been a tied game at the end. So you know you live and you live and die by if you're A and M by the talent that Manziel has. But Tarvin, I walked away with this just in awe of what Manziel. I could not believe yeah. how well he played in this game. Yeah, he's up in my top five highs on the list because of it after a loss. But here's my problem, Trey, is I heard a lot of Bama fans talking about this, and they almost had me convinced. They did have me convinced. Nick Saban with a year to prepare uh, by week. If anybody can shut down this offense, it's Saban. And my God, Trey, Johnny Manziel, he wasn't just running. I mean, he was throwing the ball. He was making NFL caliber throws. 628 total yards on that Alabama defense, Trey, and that's alarming to me. So if Nick Saban has a year to prepare to shut Manziel down, what's the excuse here? Well, I mean, exactly. Everybody said, hey, you know, Alabama, too much time to prepare, Johnny Manziel. Uh, and, you know, I said Manziel was going to have a sophomore slump. So, you know, here I am, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to announce it on our show. I am officially eating my words when it comes to Johnny Manziel. I thought he would have you know, people, I, I bought into there's going to be too much time to prep for Johnny Manziel, uh, that he's not NFL caliber. And I still I still think that he's not NFL caliber. But, I mean, this kid maybe eat my words in this performance, Tarvin, because he was incredible. The th- throws that he was making, the timing uh, just was were incredible. Now, he also had that Brett Favre moment twice where he threw the ball where he shouldn't because he thought he was invincible. And that ended up being the difference in this game, Manziel's pick six and that pick in the end zone. But, you know, he would, you wouldn't even be in that situation if you're A&M without all those plays that he made before that. Well, I mean, Manziel did good, guys. He, he, he exceeded expectations in this game. But let's see how he does now. You know, now that this game's over with, I mean, let's see how he does against the old misses of the world, the LSU's. I mean, this all these games are not going to be as big as Alabama was. So let's see. Before I, I come on air and say I'm wrong about Johnny Manziel, I just want to see how he plays in the next few weeks. I still have a feeling he could come unravel, Trey, but right now he's a top five Heisman candidate. And even with a loss, I was very impressed. But going after this week, Trey, are you, are you sold on Alabama being the number one team? But yeah, because they won. I mean, you know, winning is winning, Tarvin. And they they left this game. They left uh, a performance for the ages in Manziel, and they walked out of there. And let's be honest, Tarvin, Alabama walked out of this game beaten down. I mean, Nick Saban, when he shook the hand of Kevin Sumlin at the end, the cameras picked it up. He said, you took 10 years off my life. That's how much Nick Saban – at the end of this game, was fretting over the out, you know, Johnny Menzel and his outcome. He was, and that's how all Alabama fans had to be during this game because, I mean, Menzel you know, had him up fourteen nothing. Uh, it looked like you know last year all over again, but then Alabama came roaring back. So this was a slugfest in the second half, which is what Alabama wanted it to be. But you know they won the game, Tarvin, and that's what happens. They take they stick on a Goliath of an opponent in Menzel, and they survived it. And that's all you need to do. Uh, yeah, but that's, I've never seen an Alabama defense get carved up like that. And that was just Manziel. I mean, what a game, making some passes. He ran for 98 yards, too. 
and that's huge. I mean, you, you're the leading rusher. You're the leading passer. I mean, my God, did he did he did he kick any extra points, Trey? Well, I thought maybe he could have played safety, Jarvin. Um, you know, they talked about you know the joke that uh, I was actually watching the game with a Texas A&M fan, and um, you know, he kept upset saying, "Well, if Texas thought this guy was a safety, why don't we put him back there? It can't get any worse for our defense." So. Yeah, that's the thing about A and M, Tarvin. You know, AJ McCarron carved them up pretty well. You know, TJ Yeldon ran all over them. So, you know, A and M has no defense, so they're going to be in some shootouts for sure. I mean, we're not looking at SEC type defenses anymore. I mean, and Alabama still has secondary issues. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm looking at Zach Mettenberger now, Tarvin, and I'm seeing all of his progression, and I'm wondering, and I'm just wondering, Tarvin, you know, what Alabama's going to look like when they play LSU. Uh, you, you never know, man. That's that's college football. You never know from week to week what's going to happen. But we're going to find out LSU this weekend. I mean, this is probably their best team they played in Auburn. Uh, at least they're home in this game. But we'll see. I think LSU is pretty good. they got some big receivers. And I just want to see Mettenberger, how he's going to be able to throw against an SEC team. And trust me, Auburn's not a great defense by no means, but I'm interested to see how he plays last year against Auburn. The worst team they've had in history. He struggled big time, and they they came out of Auburn with a twelve to ten win. So we'll, we'll talk about that one on Wednesday. But Trey, I want to thank everybody for listening tonight. It was a great show. Thanks, Barrett, for coming on with us tonight. And we will be staff picks starting at midnight. So we're an hour and nineteen minutes away. Trey will be staff pick for twenty four hours on Block Talk Radio. I want to thank them for noticing the show. Any final thoughts before we go? Oh man, just you know. We talked about it time and time again. I hate when officials, um, you know, put themselves in the game, and that's what happened, you know, at Wisconsin and Arizona State. And it's just another one of those games that, you know, like, like the out, like the, excuse me, like the Atlanta game last year, the pop off, and the, you know, the whole Hail Mary and the Green Bay and Seattle game. It's just one of those games that's going to go down in our sort of folklore of, you know, just terrible, terrible officiating. And I just hate that for Wisconsin. I hate it for Arizona. But, uh, you know, looking forward to another week of football, Tarvin. I am, too. Join us Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll be live, ready to go to preview uh, week four of college football and week three of the NFL. It's going to be fun. And until Wednesday night, we'll see you. Have a great week, everybody. Mm-hmm.